So today we're thinking about the Apostle Paul's first missionary journey around the Mediterranean. However, to introduce it, I want to come closer to home. I want us to remember something of the missionaries that came to start the Baptist Church here on Isla. The story begins in the year 1812. A brave man named Dougal Sinclair set out on a missionary journey of the highlands. In those days, travel was hard. There were no maps, no tarmac roads, no comfortable ferries. Dougal Sinclair travelled the region by foot and small boat. Consequently, as Dougal travelled around preaching the gospel, the weather had a significant impact on his schedule. Three times he tried to travel from Colonsay to Isla. Three times he had to turn back as he neared Rouval because of a storm. Dougal could have given up, but he was determined to reach Isla and speak about Jesus. Sadly, when Dougal did eventually arrive on our shores, his life didn't get any easier. In fact, he faced considerable opposition. The local lairds did not like him preaching in their fields and distracting their workers so they threatened him with violence if he continued. They also threatened their tenants with the loss of their land and homes if they were found listening to him. These were not idle or trivial threats. Incredibly, despite the opposition, Dougal Sinclair bravely continued with his ministry and it soon began producing fruit. The first person to be baptised was a Mrs. McKechnie. And soon after that, a small church fellowship began to meet in Calm Duncan. Over time, the church began to grow and called its first minister, Angus McNaughton. Angus lived and worked on a small farm near Grunyot. But alongside his farming, Angus had a passion for people to hear about Jesus. So he too set out on perilous journeys across Isla to spread the good news. Apparently, for speed, Angus crossed the mills and hills, the moors and hills, with bare feet, both in summer and winter. He only put his boots on when he got to where he was going. Despite all his efforts, still at this time, the Baptists had no dedicated place of worship. Due to the continued opposition that they faced, they had to meet in schoolhouses and kitchens, and more often than not, the open air. This continued for more than 50 years. And it must have been a real struggle at times. Thankfully, the small fellowship here was supported by other Baptist churches in Tyree and Skye and Loch Gilphead. They regularly sent people over to make sure that the church continued. Gradually, the Baptists on Isla earned the respect of the local community. As fellow Elects watched the way they responded to opposition with courage and grace, they began to be won over by their upstanding character. And eventually it became possible for them to have their own church building. It was opened in Jameson Street in Bermore at the cost of £100. Now £100 was a lot of money in 1869, especially for a small congregation made up of crofters and fishermen. The only way the money could be raised was through the generosity of others. The church building was bought through the donations of churches in London, Edinburgh, Glasgow, Paisley, Greenock, and Rothsey, and we today are still the beneficiaries of that team effort. 
The story of the Baptist faith coming to Isla is an inspiring one. I've only given a few of the highlights. But even in that short account, we can see three very important things. We see brave men and women speaking the good news of Jesus to as many people as they can. We see a small church overcoming much local opposition through the courage and grace of their conduct. And we see the wider support of the church at large. The church on Isla would just not be here without the support of brothers and sisters further afield. Now the reason that I draw your attention to those three things is because I think they're also the three most important learning points from Paul's first missionary journey 2,000 years ago. Let's have a look at them one at a time. We're going to begin with speaking the good news of Jesus to as wide an audience as possible. The efforts of Dougal Sinclair in his little boat sailing to Isla and of Angus McNaughton roaming the hills with bare feet were incredible. They were utterly dedicated to the task of making Jesus known. This, of course, was true for Paul as well. Indeed, this was the very reason that he and Barnabas had been sent off by the church in Antioch to engage in this trip. There was a whole world out there who had not heard of Jesus and needed to. Now, I've spent the last week really immersed in these two chapters, Acts 13 and 14. And one of the things that's really struck me was the wide range of people that Paul spoke to. He spoke to Cypriots and people from modern-day Turkey. He spoke to Jews and Gentiles, people who knew the Hebrew scriptures and people who didn't know them at all. In fact, they worshipped the Greek gods and the Roman gods. Paul spoke to the rich and the powerful, like Sergius Paulus, the proconsul in Paphos, and he spoke to the poor and the vulnerable, like the lame man in Lystra. Paul really did go to everyone he could because he knew that the message of Jesus is good news for all people. One of the fascinating things about this passage is watching how Paul tailored his message to the different audiences that he spoke to. He tried everything he could to make the importance of Jesus both understandable and believable. In Acts 13, we have a long record of a sermon that he preached in the synagogue of Pisidian Antioch. There, of course, Paul was speaking to Jews, so he included things that would grab the Jews' attention. His sermon began with a recap of the Hebrew scriptures. He talked about Abraham and Moses, Samuel, Saul and David. And he then went on to show all the promises and prophecies of the Old Testament led to Jesus. Carefully and deliberately, he was leading them to see how Jesus was the Messiah, the anointed one of God that all the Jews had been waiting for. But of course, this approach was never going to work with everyone. In the very next chapter, in Acts 14, we find Paul in the marketplace of Lystra. There he wasn't surrounded by Jews well-versed in scripture, no, quite the opposite. Paul was surrounded by illiterate pagans. So this time, his sermon is much shorter, and it begins in a very different place. Listen again to verses 15 to 17. 
Friends, we're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless pagan idols to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let the nations go their own way. He's not left himself without testimony. He showed kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provided for you plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Can you see? This time, Paul doesn't go to the Jewish scriptures at all for his illustrations. He goes to the natural world around him. He announces the God who made the heavens and the earth, the God who loves his people and faithfully provides the harvest year on year. Paul wanted everyone to hear the gospel, but he knew he had to go about that in different ways. He had to work hard to understand the people that he was talking to and tailor his message to meet their needs. But of course, he did always eventually get to Jesus. For it is Jesus that everyone needs to hear about. The Jesus who forgives our sin. He says, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And the Jesus who rose again after death on the cross, paving the way to eternal life and proving that he really is Lord of all. On another occasion, he says, God raised him from the dead. And for many days, he was seen by those who traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. And they are now his witnesses. Paul believed with every fibre of his being that Jesus was the most important person in the history of the world, the king of all things. And Paul believed that that message was good news for all people. In him, salvation and eternal life could be found. So Paul gave himself to speaking about Jesus to as wide an audience as he possibly could, using whatever techniques were necessary and beneficial. And do you know what? This need has never gone away. Still today, we live within a world that needs to hear about Jesus. Our neighbours, be they rich or poor, eluch or incomer, educated or non-educated, they need to hear something of God's love for them. And still today, we are tasked we're sharing the good news with as wide an audience as possible, using whatever resources we can. Tonight, we will try again with Hope Explored. Later this year, we will try the messy games and the drama of the beach club. Someone, somewhere, will have made sacrifices to pass on the good news of Jesus to us. We are to seek to do the same for others. Because Jesus loves them and wants them to come to him. Let's move on now to the second learning point from this passage. Christians are to try and step back and see how God is always at work, even in times of opposition. In the story of this church, Baptists of the 19th century gained a good reputation for the way that they responded to persecution. As a result, the church here on Isla grew and gained enough respect to open its own buildings. In Acts 13 and 14, we see something of the same. God is not absent in times of hardship for the church, 
Rather, he is still there and working out his good purposes. It's fair to say that in just these two chapters, Paul faces a lot of opposition. He was confronted, threatened and stoned. At one point, he is dragged out of the city, battered and bloodied and left for dead. Yet through it all, God worked for good. Let's just skim through a few examples. In the opening verses of chapter 13, Paul was opposed by Elymas, the sorcerer on Cyprus. And Paul saw this as a spiritual attack, the work of the devil, no less. But when God's spirit moved and left Elymas blind and groping about in the dark, the powerful proconsul who saw this was amazed and came to faith. As Paul then travelled on into modern-day Turkey, we see him forming a strategy. When he arrived in a new place, he always went and spoke in the synagogue first. He knew that the Jews were God's people and that Jesus had come to save them. However, time and time again, Paul was rejected by his own people. Incredibly, though, Paul had the wisdom and the foresight to see how this was God beginning to do a new thing. Listen again to Acts 13, 46. Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We have to speak the word of God to you first. But since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honoured the word of the Lord and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Can you see, in God's good purposes, the opposition and the hostility of a few leads to the salvation of many more. And that remains true as you go on and on through the reading. Every time Paul and Barnabas experience persecution in a particular place, it moved them on to somewhere new. From Antioch, they went to Iconium, and then on to Lystra, and then on to Derby. Every move was caused by pain, but the result was more people coming to hear about Jesus. At the end of his first missionary journey, Paul gives two incredible bits of testimony. In verse 22 of chapter 14, he says, We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And then in verse 27, on arriving back in Antioch, Paul and Barnabas gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Put those two things together and what do you get? Sometimes God opens a door precisely through the hardship that his people face. When you take the time to really immerse yourself in the life of Paul, there are some challenging lessons that soon come to the forefront. Paul knew from experience that when believers really take on the mission of God seriously, it often leads to opposition. But the early church didn't see suffering as a sign of God's failure. Rather, they saw it as an honour to suffer for Christ. They were not surprised when hardship came. Rather, they trusted God to care for them and bring them through it. As Christians today, we should not want to suffer. 
that would be perverse. But we should expect that as we seek to tell people about Jesus, some of them will reject us. Some of those people will be our own family and friends, and of course they will be the most painful rejections of all. But we should know deep in the core of our being that through all things God remains sovereign. No opposition can defeat God's mission. Indeed, God is so powerful, he can turn opposition into opportunity. So I want to encourage us all that though witnessing for Jesus can be difficult, really difficult at times, God is always bigger than our suffering and will find ways to use it for his glory, however painful it may be. So we've thought about speaking about Jesus to as wide an audience as we can. We've thought about seeing God at work, even in times of opposition. There's one final point I'd like to make. I think we also see in these verses the need to stick as close to the local church as we can. On Isla, we have a Baptist church here because the wider Baptist family sent missionaries to us. We have a church building in Bamore and a recently renovated building here in Port Ellen because other Baptist churches helped finance it. Still today, we rely on the resources and the preachers from the wider family of God's people. And I, as a minister, rely on your prayer and support. The truth is, we all rely on each other. In these chapters, it was Paul who was sent out on his great missionary journey. And in many ways, he was heroic. But Paul never forgot the importance of the local church to his life and ministry. It was the local church in Antioch that prayed for him and sent him off. It was the local church in Lystra that rescued him and cared for him after he'd been stoned half to death. And of course, everywhere Paul went, he had Barnabas as a companion in the faith. On several occasions, we see Paul's gratitude and commitment to the local church. On their way home to Antioch, at the end of their journey, they didn't take the short route. Rather, they went back to all the places that they'd been to strengthen and encourage the young churches that they'd set up. And on finally arriving back where they began, they gave a full report to the church, telling them what God had done. They wanted to thank the church and thank God. They wanted to encourage the church in faith so that the church in Antioch would be likely to send out more missionaries like them in the future. Throughout his life, Paul's top priority was the church. Before his conversion, he tried to destroy it. After meeting Jesus, he tried to do everything he could to build it up. Paul didn't want the local church relying on him. Rather, he wanted them to know that he relied on them. That's why he tried to make them as stable as possible, appointing elders and training up leaders in all the places that he visited. Now, if even the great Apostle Paul knew that his ministry and Christian life depended on the support of his brothers and sisters, how much more should we recognize that fact? It can be hard to be a Christian on Isla in 2024. We need the support of our church family. Things get even tougher when we try to be a witness for Jesus. 
The church will always be needed to pray for us and advise us and encourage us in our efforts. God designed his church deliberately. None of us can go it alone. It's only together that we will make an impact for Jesus on the place that we live. So there we finish. I do encourage you to go home and explore these chapters in more detail. We'll do that in the Bible study on Tuesday as well. But let's remember these three things. We should try and speak about Jesus to as wide an audience as we can, tailoring our message as we do so. We should try and see how God is at work, even when times are hard. And we should try and stick as close as we can to the local church, for that is how we be most effective. And if we do these things, we will still see God at work and new people coming to faith here on Isla. That's what we all long for, isn't it? May God get all the glory for the missionary journey that we are on together.